How are we? Are we good? I'm sitting there and, and God spoke to me about some stuff and I wrote it all down and you know, I had it all there and then I'm sitting in worship this morning and he's speaking to me about it and it's like what he gave me was one point <laughs> of the rest of it. So aren't you excited? That, you know, there's more to come. So let me read to you out of Habakkuk. Thanks, babe. It makes a good pulpit. If you have your Bibles there, turn to Habakkuk. If you've got a phone, it's easier to find. It's sort of in the prophets. Well, it's not sort of. It is in the prophets. What they call the minor prophets, only because their books are smaller. Because they split the prophets into minor and major. The major are the ones you probably hear more about. You know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, those sorts of guys. They've got the bigger ones. And then you get the minor prophets. And that's all those books at the end of the Old Testament. They're all the small ones. And they're only called minor because the books are smaller, not because what they have to say is minor. So if you have your Bibles there, flick open to Habakkuk. If you're looking for Habakkuk, it's just before um, Zephaniah. That helps. And it's just before Haggai, which is just before Zechariah. <laughs> you're about five or six from the end of the Old Testament. How's that? <laughs> All our files got your index, and uh, it helps. Chapter two. I want to talk about powerful vision, or should I say, maybe renewing your vision? Habakkuk two, verse one says, "I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me." And what I will answer when I am corrected. God has something to say to you. Too often people think, oh, you know, I'm too much of a sinner. I'm, I'm just me. I'm just this. And, and we get this small thinking thing happening and we don't expect God to speak. But God has something to say to you. I like that, and what I will answer when I am corrected. What God has to say to you is to adjust. Correction is not always a bad thing. In fact, it's always a good thing when it comes from God. Because what he's doing when he's correcting you, he's correcting your course and adjusting your course to be where it should be. You know, if you never correct the course of a boat, eventually it's going to hit something. If you don't correct the course of your car, you will run into something. Yeah? If you reverse out of our driveway and you don't correct the course, you will go back up the driveway of the people across the road and hit their car. All right? Correction is a good thing, yeah? All right, turn the person next to you and say, Hey, I'm awake! And correction is a good thing! If that doesn't fail, just take your hand out like this. Bring it in really fast to your face. That'll wake you up. All right. Obviously, I need to stand up. Yeah, and then turn the other cheek. All right. So God has something to say. Let me tell you what he's got to say to you. The Lord answered and said to me, verse 2, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. See? He was ahead of his time, this guy. He knew it was coming. 
The word's timeless, isn't it? Tablets prophesied 2,000 years before they occurred. In fact, probably getting closer to 4,000 years before they occurred. <laughs> you can inscribe on your tablets of terminations. <laughs> so get your tablet out, write the vision, and make it plain. The word is timeless. That he may run who reads it. You can even run while you have to write your tablet. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul is not uprighted him, but the just shall live by his faith. There's a sermon in that last one that I just want to get into, but I'm not allowed to today. But the just shall live by his faith. Something for future times. God has a vision for your life. And so I'm sitting over there doing research across all my devices here. And so I was looking up all the verses on vision that I've got written through the thing. And um, God has a lot to say about vision. In Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good, not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. God actually has a plan for your future. And as I was thinking about that, you know what? Most people don't know what their future holds. Most people don't know what what they're heading towards. Most people don't have a vision. And the thing about God's vision is it's actually really, really big. God doesn't think small. He creates the small to be part of the big. And he has a plan and a purpose. And too often we justify our smallness and we justify what, where we are in our life because we go, well, that's just where God's put me and that's my, and that's good. God has put you there, but God has a bigger vision than where you are. Where you are is not the end of the road. And if you don't have a vision, then you need to go back to God and get a vision. Because you see, he also says, without a vision, in Proverbs 29, 18, you actually begin to perish. Why do most people, when they retire, die within a very short time? Because they have no vision. They're not going forward, and if you don't go forward, you go backwards. You see, when you have a vision for your life, you actually take better care of yourself. When you have a vision for your life, you have purpose in what you do. When you retire, when you stop to have vision, you don't have to retire, but when you don't have vision and you don't have purpose, another translation for that says you start to wander aimlessly towards your death. Vision keeps you alive. You know, they tell the story of <coughs> two frogs that fall into a, a bowl of cream. Yeah, because that's the point of the story. <laughs> and they're in this, in this, you know, soft cream and it's all slopping around and, and, and they're sitting there and they swim for a while and eventually one of them says, you know what, this is useless and he gives up. 
and he dies. He loses the vision. But the other frog keeps the vision. He says, I am going to get out of here. I have a purpose in my life. God made me for a reason. And so he keeps swimming and he keeps swimming and he keeps swimming. And eventually he swims so much that the cream starts to thicken. And as he keeps swimming and the cream thickens, eventually it's solid enough that he can jump out. That's the power of vision. Oh, dear. (laughs) Father's Day. (laughs) Oh, dear. Growing. For those who can't hear on the recording, especially for for Dale's Uncle David, who we know listens to our recordings in New Zealand, (laughs) Dale says the frog got creamed. (laughs) There you go. He'll be laughing now. But one frog had a vision. And you see, it doesn't matter what your situation is. If you are saying, I can't achieve my vision because of my situation, you are saying God can't do it. But if God has given you a vision, then it has to come about. And I like what he says in Habakkuk. In verse 2, he says, For the vision is for an appointed time. I think too often we expect our vision to come in before we're ready. And we, you know, we want to we go into the, the great big thing straight away. Nobody starts out at the top. You have to work your way there and work your way there. You have to keep walking the vision until you get to where God has you. But the problem is that it's hard at the start and so too often we give up at the start or we settle at the start and we go, oh, we can't do it. But your vision has an appointed time. I think actually for many people, the time is already ahead and we're behind and we've got to run to catch up. But the thing is we've got a God who can do that. That God will bring your vision through at his appointed time. And you see, the difficulties you face, the problems and the challenges you come up against, that is God getting you ready for what is ahead. You know, if he said to you, I want you to be a triathlete, you don't walk out and go, fantastic, I've never run a kilometre in my life, but I'm going in a triathlon tomorrow. You're going to drown on the swim leg before you get to the running or the cycling. (laughs) You have to train and prepare. You don't go and enter into Hawaii's top triathlon. That's why it has a qualifying period. Because you have to go through the qualifiers to make sure you're genuine. I mean, you can do an Eddie the Eagle. You know who he is? You can watch the movie at the moment, thing is out at the moment. He was a guy who entered the Olympics and he was a complete amateur. In fact, he entered events he'd never even done before. He didn't win, he didn't, <laughs> but he had a go. But that's not how God's plan is. You see, God's plan is for you to succeed and not to fail. He said, I made you a winner, not a loser, a success and not a failure. But the problem is that when we come across challenges and things don't work out as we expect, we call them failures and then we stop trying. No, 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 they're not not failures. They're challenges that make you stronger. Because when you get to the top, you have to have the strength. 
to climb the biggest mountain, you start by climbing smaller mountains. You build your strength. That's what God is doing. But as Christians, we sort of give up because we think God's with us, it's going to be easy. Well, it wasn't easy for Jesus. He had a vision that all the world may be saved. And I don't know about you, but it looked like he had a lot of challenges from the moment he was born. People were trying to kill him. He had challenges. He had struggles. But he persevered until he got to the end. God has a big vision for your life. And the thing about it is, if you don't speak it, it's going to speak about you. It's going to come out and it's going to hang in front of you and it's going to taunt you and it's going to be there. Because that's what vision does. You know, I've been writing a book and I'm about two years behind in writing this book. I'm down to my last chapter. Well, I think it's my last chapter anyway. (laughs) I've only got one more chapter I'm aware of. How's that? And then, you know, there's a few notes and editing and so on. But it, it speaks to me and it taunts me and it hangs in front of me and it sits there and it's like it, it's sort of, it's been hanging there for a long time. And I'm seriously, I'm about two years behind in writing it. But it's part of the vision that God has for me. And so I sit down and I wrote, And I felt really good on Friday because I knocked off a massive part of it. Your vision will taunt you. Because it says that, the vision will speak. If you don't speak, it will speak. Because it's God's purpose down inside you. It's actually part of your DNA. It's how he made you and what he made you for. It will tarry. It will surely come. Don't you love that? It will surely come. God's vision won't fail. If you don't do it, he will get somebody else to do it. And then you have to give an account when you get to heaven for your vision. I can imagine standing there thinking, man, I could have done that. That could have been me. I could have achieved that. And someone else is getting that? God has a vision. So what stops it? Verse 4, behold the proud. Pride will stop your vision. And pride manifests in a lot of ways. You see, if I was going to summarize pride, I'd bring it back to Putting yourself before God. That's what pride is, essentially, yeah? Putting yourself before God. It's saying, my will, my wants, my desires are greater than God's. Or my fears. And me is greater than God's will for my life. You see, because pride can manifest as in, I know better. Or it can manifest as, I'm too afraid to do that. Why are we afraid to do that? Now, I think we know that I know better than God. Right? 
Yeah, we're okay with that one. We know when we're doing that most times, sometimes, occasionally. When you have to keep telling people that you know better, when you keep telling God how to do it, that's pride. When you tell God he can't do it this way or he can't do it that way, when you start putting in boundaries and can'ts, that's pride. Because what you're saying is you know better than God. But he says, you know what? My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. See, religious spirits is, comes out of pride because I know better. And we do it without even realizing it. And God has to strip those things out of our life. And they're often where we feel like we have failures, where things didn't go as we expected, it didn't work out. That's God stripping out of your life you so that he can start to lead you into how it should happen. And that's really uncomfortable. And a lot of people don't get over that stage because they don't want to be stripped back. They're afraid of what they will find if they are stripped back to nothing. You know, I was funny in the Shrek movie, you know, and Shrek comes out and says to Donkey, he says, you know, ogres are like onions. And Donkey tries to explain, you know, he says, we've got layers, there's layers to an ogre. But what happens if you strip an onion back all the way? You take off all the layers, what have you got? Nothing. Because an onion is just a whole lot of layers, one on top of the other, with nothing in the middle. And that's what God wants to do with you. He wants to strip off all those layers. We're all just ogres, see? Without Jesus, we're ugly. But the more Jesus you get, the more he will strip away those layers until you get down to who you really are in him, who he has made you to be. He needs to take away us so there's more of him. And if we keep holding on to ourselves, then we cannot achieve the vision and the purpose he has for our lives. And it's fear that does that. So how do you deal with fear? Because fear will steal your vision. Fear comes where there's been failure. We can be afraid of what others think afraid of getting it wrong, afraid of not being good enough. The other big stealer is sin. Sin in our life blocks vision. Do you know that? When you keep putting sin in and we're aware of that sin and we keep stepping into that sin, we start to see ourselves in the context of the sin rather than the context of God. And so we have the wrong vision of ourselves. And we have the wrong vision of God. Sin steals our faith. Because when you see yourself in the context of the sin, you operate in fear rather than in faith. And it lowers our self-worth. So we don't rise up to be who we're meant to be in God. That's what sin does. Sin and fear are the big vision stealers in life. And two of the most powerful weapons that Satan uses. You know, he comes and whispers with the fear. And he says to you, all the things that other people have said about you. You know, great aunt Bertha, your mother, your father, your uncle, whoever it is, 
maybe even your, your husband or your wife, the things they've said, and they cause fear that you aren't good enough, you can't do that. How are you going to be doing something like that? <coughs> they remind you of all your failures, the times where you haven't made it through, where you tried something and it didn't work out as you expected. Maybe where you had ideas and others said they were silly, and so you didn't go through and do them. And all these failures line up, whether they're perceived, whether they're real, whether what people have said, and they create fear in our life, and we don't step into what God wants because we're worried about what others think. That's ultimately what fear is. See, fear is actually not real. Someone did the acronym of fear as false expectations that appear real. Have you ever been going to do something and you're really nervous about going to do it and afraid of it, and then when you start doing it, you actually find out that it was nothing like what you expected? It was actually quite easy. It's actually not difficult. You know, I've taught all my kids to drive. I'm teaching Becky to drive right now. And they all, when they first get in the car have a fear. They're afraid of hitting something. Afraid of steering wrong. Afraid of doing something wrong. Afraid of stalling the car. Afraid of this. And so there's a reluctance to actually start driving when you first start. They don't want to go driving and, you know, we go around the park or around the corner and crunch the gears a few times and stall it and bunny hop and all the things that go with that. And after the first driving lesson or two, there's sort of this hesitation to go driving again because there's a fear involved. But the more they do it, the more comfortable that now, like my two older girls, don't think twice about going driving. They just jump in the car and go. Why? Because the fear is no longer there. It's no longer real. They've conquered what was in front of them. And we have to do that. We have to conquer that fear. That fear of, I might get it wrong. That fear of, what will others think? You see, we have this fear of rejection, of people being upset with us, of having a go at us, and that blocks vision. But it's not real. You know what? It actually doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. It doesn't matter. Because it's your life, not theirs. If someone gets upset with you, what's the worst they can do? They may yell, they may scream, they may say horrible things. But what does that actually do to you? In reality, it actually does nothing if you don't take in those words. If you take them in, they can pull you down. But think about it. After someone's ranted and raved and yelled and screamed, what are they actually going to do to you? Nothing. Their words are finished. You know, if Ben walked in here and said, okay, I'm going to take the car and go driving now, and I stood here and yelled and screamed and said, no, you're not, but he went and got in the car and drove out of here, I haven't actually done anything to stop him, have I? he still has that power to go and do what he wants to do. 
It's the same with you. People may have a go, they may have something to say, they may, you know, go on. This, and this is the fear we have, we perceive what will others think. But in reality, they actually can't stop you doing what you are meant to do. If God has ordained it and you believe it, nobody can stop you. Nobody can stop you. God has placed a vision within you and it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. And if we put someone else's words above God's, that's pride and idolatry. Because we're saying that person's opinion of me is greater than what God thinks of me. And we are putting them above God and putting ourselves above God. That's where fear comes in. You say, but I've tried this in the path and it didn't work. So what? Do we appreciate having light here? Do you like to walk into a room and flick the switch and the light bulb lights up? Do you know that when they first invented the light bulb, thousands and thousands of times they failed? What if after a couple of failures they went, this just doesn't work, it can't happen? We'd all still be burning candles. Nighttime would be a big deal. You know, if you've got kids and your kids get out of bed, it's like, oh, I've got to light a candle, get down there, where's those matches? But it's not a big deal. You just flick a switch. That's what vision does. Vision says failure is no big deal. You see, you only fail, as the saying goes, when you stop trying. If you've done something that didn't work out, you just found a way for it not to happen. And for God to strip away some of those layers and to put more of his layers on. You know, I mean, Dale and I have been involved in three church plants. And some have done well, some haven't. I know that people look at, at us and they go, they feel sorry for us. Oh, man, they tried things, they didn't work out. But you know some of those people that look at us and think that are sitting there and have never done anything. They're just sitting back, they're comfortable and existing. Oh, I don't like that thought of just existing. It's boring. And some of those people... In fact, every one of those people has a calling on their life to do something for God, but they're too afraid to step out. They're too afraid to take a risk. But see, risk equals faith. If God has spoken something, it's not just going to happen. You have to step into it. You have to claim it. You have to take it. You have to face your fears. Can I tell you the best way to face your fears? Write them down. Write down what you're actually afraid of. Verbalize it. Give it context. Because when you write down what you're actually afraid of, you look at it in black and white and you go, you know what, that's actually pretty wussy. I When I worked in the bank, when I first started working, I worked for a bank and and um, became a supervisor and I had staff there and they'd sit there and, and some of them would be paralysed 
by the work coming in at that time. And they just sort of sit there and look at it and piles of it and, and it's just whirring around in their head. And I sit there and go, okay, just get a paper and a pen out and write down everything you have to do. Oh, I don't have time. Then just write down everything you have to do. And so they'd write it down. And as they wrote it down, they'd get out of their head and they'd go, oh, actually it's not that bad. Okay, okay, now put in a priority order. What do you have to do the first? And they go through and put in priority order. And then they go, oh, I can do this. And they do the first thing and knock it off and the second thing. And eventually, they'd get through. And as I got all of my staff doing that, when we had really busy days, staff who finished first were able to go over and help those and they knew what needed to be done. And we cut the overtime. Where we were working back an hour or an hour and a half or two hours in the busy periods and it was getting ridiculous and so on, we were actually able to cut it so there was actually no overtime happening across our front office. Because they wrote down, they got it out of their heads, they got the fear and the confusion out of their heads, put it down and went, you know what, it's actually not that bad. I can handle this. It's the same with fear. Fear comes and it plays on your mind. And what it does is it causes clouding across your mind so that you can no longer see what's in front of you. Write it down. Write down what you are afraid of. Get it out of your head, down in front of you, and then think, what is the worst that can happen? Because if you can handle the worst that can happen, you can take your vision. Write it down. What is the worst that can happen? You know, we've done stuff and I've wrote down, the worst that can happen is we go bankrupt. Can I live with that? Well, in Australia, yeah, that's no big deal. Government supports you. You get these benefits. You get given housing. It's a great country to go bankrupt in if you're going to go bankrupt anyway. (laughs) But see, when we think, oh, the stigma and the shame, who cares? I'm not saying go bankrupt. I'm not encouraging that. But the stigma and the shame, what if, what will people think? Who cares? All right? Let me tell you right now, when you get a vision from God and you try and do something, there will be people in your life who will not understand what you are trying to do. And there will be people in your life who will tell you how bad an idea it is and they will come and tell you all the failures that have happened in an area and all the times that things have gone wrong and all the times how bad it is and blah, 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 blah. I promise you. And it will be people close to you and they'll tell you, oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, well, I know this person. You need to get those people out of your life. Take them off your Facebook feed. Get them out. Just get them out of your life. You don't need those people in your life. Oh, but it's me, Uncle Bob. Well, good old Uncle Bob. Stop seeing Uncle Bob. All right? Because they will steal your vision. That's their purpose in life is to steal your vision because they're upset about their own. They didn't step into what they should be doing and so they will be quick to steal yours. And all they're doing is transferring their own guilt over to you to keep you down. See, because if they keep you down, then you don't challenge them about theirs. Because your vision will speak. 
And see, they're facing their vision every day and going, oh, I didn't do it, oh, I didn't do it, oh, I didn't do it. And if you start to rise up, it starts to speak. Because I tell you, your vision will speak. If you don't speak about your vision, it will speak about you. And when others rise up, why do we feel bad? Oh, gee, I wish I could rise up with that. Because your vision is speaking. It's challenging you. Because that's what your vision does. You see someone rising up in the area that you have a passion for, you have a vision for, it's speaking to you, saying, rise up, rise up, rise up, go forward. Let me give you five really quick points. Just give you the overview, all right? First of all, Understand, the devil will bring people your way. He will bring sin your way or he'll bring fear your way. All right? Because sin will steal your vision and cloud it. Fear will do the same thing. Know this. First of all, you have overcome the devil because you've overcome the world because Jesus has. And you're in him and he's in you. All right? So don't let it get in there. If you're struggling with sin, struggling with fear, write them down. This is what I'm struggling with. Give it voice. All right? When you give it voice, black and white, it doesn't look so bad, you can beat it. All right? You are not your fear, you are not your sin because neither of those is yours. They are from the devil. All right? He'll come and he'll keep doing it. He'll keep bringing those thoughts in your mind. You need to overcome it. How do you overcome it? Really easy. Matthew chapter 4, overcome it by the word. Jesus spoke the word. When the devil came and tempted him, And he says, do this. How did Jesus answer him? He spoke the word of God. When Jesus tried to, when the devil tried to change his vision and said, I'll give you what you want, but we'll do it this way, Jesus spoke the word to him. Rebuke the devil by the word. You need to be reading the word of God. Day in, day out. Even if you think it's dry and nothing, when you read it, it's going in. And so when the devil comes, you can speak the word of God and he has to flee. When you resist him by the word of God, he has to flee because he can't handle the word of God. He's actually already defeated. And what you're doing is pulling out your sword and going, you already lost, because he hasn't got a sword. He pretends he has. You know, it's the whole Paul Hogan thing. You call that a knife? You know, he's there with his little plastic knife going, that's all he's got. They're the words he's speaking, is a little plastic knife. You have this massive sword. It will beat a plastic knife every time, just in case you're wondering. You've got to be putting in the words so you can speak it. All right. Number two, know you're not alone. Hebrews 12.1 says that you have a cloud of witnesses around you. You know what a cloud of witnesses are? They're the saints who have gone before. Hebrews 11 talks about who they are. You've got Abraham and and David and Joseph and Joshua all around you, cheering you on. It says when you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off every weight. In other words, throw off the fear because they're all around you, cheering you on. And it says put aside... Sorry, it's just the cough machine turning itself off. And it says put aside any sin. Think about it. When sin comes your way and you're tempted, a really good way to overcome sin is to think, I'm not alone. I've got Abraham and Joshua and 
and all of heaven watching over my shoulder, mm, maybe I shouldn't sin. Yeah? So you put aside the sin because you're not alone ever. And when the fear comes, they're there. You're not alone. You overcome. Number three, said so I go quick. Write down your vision clearly. Don't put it up here, write it out. If you can't write it out, you don't know what your vision is. Write down it clearly in one sentence. And when I say a sentence, I don't mean a paragraph or a page with lots of commas. I mean a sentence. If you can't write it down in a sentence, you don't know where you're aiming for. Now you can expand it from that, but it should be in one sentence. This is the vision God has placed in me is blah, 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 blah. Like our vision as a church is to establish hubs of light across this city and across this state. That's our vision. And we're going to talk about that in a, in a few weeks' time. We're going to sit down and actually go through how that's happening because it's starting to happen already. Just by having the vision and us not doing anything but having the vision, it's starting to happen automatically. That's what clarifying your vision does. Write your vision down. So you can run with it. Then put a plan around it. Number four, remember who you are. You're a child of the Most High God. The King of Kings is your dad. You're a royal priest. You reign with him and nothing can separate you from God's love for you. So if you give a go and things don't work out as you expect and maybe you feel like you failed, God still loves you. Because his love is not conditional on what you do. It's free. He still loves you. No matter what, God will always love you. Number five, remember you already win. You've already won. You actually can't fail. You may have setbacks and delays, but you can't fail. You've already won. Because Jesus overcame the world. And you're in him and he's in you, so you have the victory. I want to encourage you. Don't walk out of here and go, oh, that's nice, yes. Get back to your purpose. Get back to your purpose. It's why you exist. Because your purpose glorifies God. And if we're serious about having Jesus is our Lord. If we're serious about glorifying him and not just something you do on a Sunday, you have to get back to your purpose. You have to get back to the vision he put within you. You have to write it down. And you have to start moving towards it. Because anything else is actually sin. Anything else is saying, I know better than God. Anything else is, I'm too afraid. Anything else is pride and arrogance and idolatry. Get back to your vision. Get back to your purpose. If you don't know what it is, then go to God and ask him to show you. And be who he made you to be. And whatever it is, it's awesome, right? 
He's big God. He likes big. He gave a whole universe for you to conquer. It starts now. Yeah? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you have a vision and a purpose for each one of us. And that, Lord, those visions and those purposes, Lord, they all tie in with each other. That we're we're a body working together to be who you made us to be. Father, I pray you release fresh vision. Just renew that vision within us. Stir it up. Lord, give it a fresh coat of paint, whatever it takes for that vision to become clear and fresh within each one of us. Help us to see the path. Help us to see the next step. Help us to see where we need to head to be who you made us to be. Let your word become alive that when Satan comes and brings fear and doubt, as he comes to try and tempt us and take us aside, that your word rises up within us, that we speak it with power, wield our sword, that we will walk in your victory. We want to bless you and honor you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.